The reading from the Gospel according to John. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in their midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such. What do you say about her? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to him, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the eldest. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus looked up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin again. Earlier this morning, I was sharing a little bit of my conversion story. It's kind of the the quick three-minute version. And really, what what I was sharing with you was part one. Part two of that conversion story was the realization or the need that I needed to go to confession because it had been a couple, probably I would say about five years or so since I had been to confession. And, you know, like normal, I was pretty afraid to go to confession. I thought for sure, you know, the priest was going to, I don't know what I thought, but it was going to be bad. And, you know, I was so nervous going into confession. I went in, sat down, the priest was there went through my sins, he did his thing. And on on one level, on a natural level, it was actually very boring. There was no drama, there was no excitement, there was no yelling, there was no there was no crying, nobody got hurt. You know. It wasn't anything like I expected. And that night I was I was at home and I was in my room, and I was listening to music. And I noticed I was doing two things. I was in my room dancing and cleaning my room. Now, I don't know which was the greater miracle. <laughs> Probably the cleaning my room thing. And my parents knew something was going on. And so my dad comes, knocks on my door, 
And he says, what are you doing? And I just said, what are, you, what are you talking about? He's like, why are you singing? And I just said, I don't know, I like this song. But the reality was, I was singing because something had come alive inside of my heart. And it wasn't until that night where I sort of put two and two together and realized it was confession. And it was the freedom, the joy, and most important, importantly, the mercy that I encountered in confession. But deep within me that night, there was this deep joy emanating from the very depths of my being. And I couldn't really articulate it. I couldn't understand it. And so it found this expression in song and dance. But my experience of confession that evening, it was not as if God was simply patting me on the back and say, you know, it's okay, I know you've, you've screwed up a bit, it's okay, I forgive you, just don't do it again. But my experience of confession was like somebody picked me up from the ground. It was like someone pulled me out of, a, out of the dumpster. And gave me this new life that opened up. And this, my friends, I believe is the power, is the beauty of God's mercy. The word mercy comes from the Latin word misericordia, which is broken up into two words. Miserea, which means wretchedness or misery, and core, meaning heart. And so mercy really means a heart for the affliction or for the wretchedness of another. Pope Francis, I think, says it so simply when he says that the mercy of God is his loving concern for each one of us. The mercy of God is his loving concern for each one of us. And so we can see that in mercy, there is this affective quality, this emotional involvement of the one bestowing mercy. It's not just a, I forgive you, pat on the back, get back in line. But it's like this entering into the very depths of the other person and breathing new life into them. And this is extraordinary, obviously. But it's extraordinary, I believe, because it shows us, or at least gives us a glimpse into who God 
really is. And who we really are. What does it tell us about God? What does mercy reveal to us about God? It reveals exactly what Jesus says, that God is Father, that God is loving Father, that God is concerned, that God is engaged in your life and in my life. That God is not some robot or some energy or some force. But as the psalmist says, a present help in time of need. And every time we learn or experience something about God, we experience something about ourselves as well. So what does God's mercy reveal to us about ourselves? It reveals to us that we are sons and daughters of God, not slaves, but sons and daughters. St. Paul reminds us in Romans, he says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And it is, I believe, the mercy of God, unlike anything else, that reveals this to us. And we witness this truth in such a profound way through the story of the woman caught in adultery. Jesus is teaching in the temple and the scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And they ask Jesus, what do you say about her? Because the law says that she should be stoned. But like normal in the Gospels, the Pharisees are seeking to trap Jesus. They have a malicious intent. They don't really care about this woman, nor do they really care about the law. Because if, if Jesus says yes to the stoning, this woman should be stoned, the Pharisees will report him to the Roman government. 
because the Jews were not allowed to administer capital punishment under Roman rule. And so if Jesus says, yes, she should be stoned, Jesus then is against the government. He'd be charged for political disturbance, causing a rebellion against Rome. If Jesus forbids the stoning and says, no, she should not be stoned, the Pharisees will discredit him as a false messiah who contradicts Moses. For the Torah classifies adultery as a capital crime. And so if Jesus says yes, or if Jesus says no to the stoning, then he's against the law. And so which is it going to be? Is Jesus against the government? Or is he against the law? And just, just as a side note, notice how superficial the ways of men often are. Right? It's either black or white. As, as the Lord says in Samuel, man sees the appearance of things, but God looks into the heart. In other words, our vision, the Pharisees' vision, is so narrow, is so rigid, whereas God's vision is so vast and open. Hence the reason why mercy can flow through his hands. And so what happens? Jesus stands up and says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And suddenly they all disappear. And Jesus says, I do not condemn you. Go and do not sin again. Again, we don't really know, the Gospels don't really reveal to us what this woman's reaction was like later that day, maybe later that week, or five years after this had happened. But I like to imagine her, again, this is my, in my own Meditation. I like to imagine her like I was after confession, dancing and singing, perhaps even genuinely smiling for the first time in her life. And I imagine people asking her, you know, what is wrong with you? What has happened to you? Why are you so happy? Don't you remember who you used to be? You know, it's funny because a genuinely happy person can be so annoying to the crowds of people because many people are not genuinely happy. And so they think you, you must be on something. 
All because this woman experienced the mercy of God. And through that mercy, experienced who God really is. And who she really is. St. Thomas once said that mercy is God's greatest attribute. That is such a profound statement of all the things we can say about God. Mercy is, is God's greatest attribute. Why, why is that? Well, my own thinking on that is because mercy is a choice on God's part. It's not a necessity, right? So when we think of God as being creator, as being all-knowing, all-powerful, it kind of falls in line with who we think God is. Right? St. Anselm defines God as that which, can, which no greater can be known, the ultimate reality. And so it would, in some sense it makes sense, well, God, this one who's above and beyond all that is, of course he knows everything, of course he's all-powerful. But he doesn't have to be merciful. Mercy, it seems to me, is a choice on God's part. It's who he chooses to be. In fact, in, in many worldviews, in many, some religions and some other philosophies, they would believe that God and mercy is a contradiction. Like the men in that story I shared with uh, earlier this morning, who said that God can't mingle with this world. It, this world is too disgusting for him. God's mercy is a revelation of his love and of his fatherhood. And yet for us Christians, this is our greatest hope. And this is, I believe, our greatest message to a world so desperately in need of mercy. The greatest message the world needs to hear is not that God exists. 90% of Americans, according to a recent poll, believe in some version of a higher power, some concept of God. So it's not so much convincing people that God exists, but revealing to people who God is, that he is merciful, that he is slow to anger and rich in kindness, as the psalmist says. And you know, for many people, this, this might appear to some as being too much, as being too good to be true. 
But here's an interesting fact. Our relationship with God is not based on equality. It can't be. We are not like God. And God is not like us. There's always what I like to call an unfair exchange between us and God. We give God a little, some crumbs, two loaves and some fish. And what does he do? He multiplies it in abundance. You know, just take a look at the sacraments. You know, in, in baptism, what do we give God in baptism? Right? Whether you're two months old, 20 years old, or 80 years old, what do you come to the baptismal font with? A frail humanity. A broken and poor humanity. And what do we get in exchange for that frail humanity? Divine life. We become children of God. That is not an equal trade. In confession, right, the most practical way we have of encountering God's mercy on a regular basis What do we give God in confession? We give God our sinfulness. We give God all the things that we don't post on Facebook. All the things we don't want people to know. And what does God give us in return in confession? Unconditional love. Acceptance. And mercy without hesitation. It's not like we have to go to confession and God has to think about it. Well, let me, let me sleep on this one. I'll get back to you tomorrow. The mercy is there immediately. Again, a very unfair exchange. In the Eucharist, right, we come to Mass sometimes distracted, bored, angry, sometimes completely disinterested, sometimes looking at our watches more than the cross or the Eucharist. And what does God give us in return? His body and blood. Not a sign, not a symbol, but food to strengthen us. And so there is, this, there is always this unfair exchange between God and us. Thank God. Because imagine if we had to give equal gifts. We could never measure up. Mercy is part of this unfair 
exchange. Pope Francis says that Jesus of Nazareth, by his words and his actions, and his entire person reveals the mercy of God. Right? It is Jesus who reveals to us the mercy of God completely. When the woman caught in adultery encountered Jesus, who did she encounter? Not simply a prophet, not simply a holy man or someone who just felt bad for her. She encountered God. Only God has the power to lift someone out of their misery, to expand their heart, to open their minds to a greater vision of reality. But here's the thing, every genuine encounter with God asks something of us. Moses at the burning bush, his encounter with God asked him to be the leader of Israel to lead Israel out of Egypt. The encounter that Samuel had with God in the silence of the night in the temple asked him to be a prophet. St. Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus asked of him to do something he could never imagine himself doing. Preaching the very faith he was trying to stop. And not even preach it to his own Jewish people, but to the Gentiles. All of these examples, God is calling some of these people to some form of, of leadership, of some form of, of witnessing. And of course, this doesn't mean this is going to be the same, obviously, for everyone. But with every genuine encounter of God, there is a, a letting go of something and an, an embracing of that which God has revealed. And this is tough because we don't want to let go. As I mentioned earlier today, after my encounter with God's mercy, I had to let go of some of my older friends, right, whose behavior and mindset was contrary to what Jesus was revealing to me. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm, I'm better than you now. I can't hang out with you. It was as if I had been turned right side up and saw things differently. I was given a new path to walk on. And so the encounter with God's mercy is no different. Mercy 
doesn't turn God into a, a teddy bear. Jesus does not ignore the fact that this woman has sinned greatly. Right? He says to her, I do not condemn you, but then he says, do not sin again. So he's in no way overlooking what she has done. But perhaps what is different with Jesus and the Pharisees, both acknowledge the seriousness of adultery, but Jesus does not hold this sin against her. Whereas the Pharisees and the scribes do. For Jesus, this woman is a daughter of God. For the Pharisees and the scribes, she's only an adulteress. Once again, how narrow and, and rigid are the ways of men who only see the appearance of things. Despite the greatest of all sin, a person is always more than their sin. And perhaps that's what makes Jesus so radical, so not being able to be understood by the Pharisees and the scribes. Because when he saw this woman, he looked beyond her sin into her heart, into her soul which was made in his image and likeness. And he saw beauty. So what does the encounter with God's mercy ask of, of us? It asks of us, I believe, repentance. Right? In Greek, the word is metanoia, which literally means a, a change of, of mind. This word, metanoia, is used 22 times in the New Testament. And it refers to a conversion of one's entire life to the Lord. A conversion that is twofold. First, obviously, a deep remorse for sin. But not just to stay there and say, oh, I'm so terrible, I'm such a sinner. But then to turn one's whole life towards God. Conversion means to turn oneself 180 degrees into the direction of an entirely new reality, the kingdom of God, and to literally throw oneself into this new life. The repentance that God desires of us is not just to look, it's not just to think about the kingdom of God, But it really means to, to run with all of one's strength towards that kingdom, towards his light, towards his love, and towards his life.
And of course, we are going to fall down along the way, which, oddly enough, is not an obstacle unless we allow it to become one. Every time we fall, Jesus is there to pick us up. A saint, somebody once said, is a sinner who has learned to keep getting up over and over and over again. Because the mercy of God knows no limits. And so this, I believe, is what mercy asks of us. Considering all that mercy is, and what it does for us. Our own repentance, our own metanoia, seems like the very least we could do. Love always demands a response. And I hate to tell you, but you will never match the love God has for you. He knows that's impossible. But a response is demanded on our part. And even if it's just 1%, it's a good place to start. It's the beginning of a life of repentance, which, yes, is being sorry for sin, but then setting one's whole being towards the Lord. Let us pray this night for that gift of true and authentic repentance. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.